Hey everyone, it's Jacob here. Welcome back to another episode of the Law of Code podcast. This is the show covering the legal side of crypto, NFTs, DAOs, and any other blockchain related innovation. Anything mentioned in this episode by Jacob Robinson or his guests is not legal advice or investment advice. All opinions are Jacob's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for legal or investment decisions. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Jacob and his guests are not your lawyers, nor are they investment advisors. Please work directly with a lawyer or investment professional. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Law of Code podcast. As always, I'm excited to share this episode with you today. My guest is Collins Belton. Collins is the founder and managing partner of Brookwood PC, a boutique transactional practice focused on serving founders, startups, and emerging technology companies working on frontier technology, particularly in the digital asset space. Collins was previously counsel at Atrium and an associate at Wilson Sonsini. Collins, thanks so much for joining me again. Looking forward to diving into all things Binance, Coinbase, and the McHenry Bill with you. Hey, thanks for having me again, man. It's good to be back. I think our first episode was the longest one I, I've ever recorded, which ended up being two part. There's so much to talk about. We're recording the day after the Coinbase charges were announced from the SEC. And I thought we could start with a high level overview of those complaints, either Binance first and then Coinbase or a high level overview of both of them. Coinbase builds off of Binance, which also builds off of all these previous cases. So the allegations from the SEC were received by Binance on Monday and like some of the other enforcement actions against a lot of the exchanges that we've seen, Bixie, Bitrix, Kraken, Gemini, et cetera, they were hit with a host of potential allegations. Now, the interesting thing about Binance and Coinbase is that, in my opinion, it's basically a culmination of a lot of the legal theories you saw in some of the prior exchange or broker-dealer-like entity situations. And what I mean by that is, starting with Binance's complaint, has essentially three or four categories of issues. So you've got one, the offer and issuance of unregistered securities. That's both for tokens that are listed on the exchange, which we'll talk about in a second, but also for BNB, their exchange issue token, and then BUSD, their stable coin. And that was a little bit of a novel argument that people were surprised by. So you have the issuance of Section 5 violations. Then you also have the operating as an unregistered exchange, broker, dealer, and or a clearing agency. Those three categories of, of entities for a platform were teased out in prior actions, but I don't think until... Bitrix, if I recall correctly, a month or two ago, was the allegation crystallized by the SEC that these entities are operating as all three of these at once, which would each require a separate type of registration. Previously, we've seen them say, hey, you're an exchange under the 34 Act and a broker-dealer, or maybe you're a broker-dealer and you're providing some settlement functions. But until Bitrix, we hadn't seen them make explicit their theory of why this is important. And now they've been reiterating that in each of these complaints, including in Binance and Coinbase, where they essentially say, hey, look, traditionally, we split up the functions of an exchange of custody and settlement. And we think that this is important because there are a lot of protections that come from not only having this tripartite structure, but disaggregating these functions so that potential conflicts and other things may not arise. So the fact that these exchanges provide all of these services, given the unique nature of crypto and how it works, is, is a problem in their view. So that's the second category of allegations. There's really no question, I think, for anybody listening that 
the exchanges are exchanges, like they allow you to exchange things. The primary question is, are the things that they're allowing you to exchange securities? The third thing is not really separate, but I think it's worth distinguishing, which is there's control person liability for CZ himself, the CEO of Binance. So control person liability essentially saying, hey, not only does the entity that has engaged in this activity receive this allegation and, and they're subject to liability, but also people who control that entity either by virtue of their ownership or some other unique contractual relationship. There's some jurisprudence there, but essentially if you are a control person of this entity, you can be held liable for certain violations, including Section 5 issuance violations and other violations. And then lastly, one of the more serious charges is essentially that they're out alleging fraud or misrepresentation by Binance US and Binance International and saying that there's been independence when instead there's been, at least from the SEC's perspective, a very clear knowledge internally within Binance that there hasn't been a separation, that CZ and Binance's international affiliate entities has been directing the affairs of Binance US and controlling the treasury, controlling the salaries, hiring decisions. Basically, Binance US is essentially just an alter ego for Binance International. And that last part is really important because we saw that alleged with Bittrex, not the first time, but really for the first major US exchanges, with Bittrex, the same allegation was levied against Bittrex Global and Bittrex US, where they're saying, hey, you guys share order books, you are sharing other things. These are essentially the same entity. This is important because for a lot of people, they might say, oh, well, they're just going after Binance US and it's small and it doesn't really matter. But if the US thinks they've got a hook into Binance International and other international entities, then it becomes a little bit more material. And we're seeing that actually in that one of the preliminary prayers for relief in Binance was they mentioned requesting a potential asset freeze. And then sure enough, we actually saw a follow-up where the SEC requested a restraining order from preventing Binance from transferring certain assets outside of the business, but also imposing several other prohibitions before they can actually start transferring assets to customers that want to withdraw, which includes ensuring that only U.S.-based officers and management are essentially in control of Binance U.S. Treasuries, that CZ and Binance International aren't involved. And obviously, I've not taken a position as to whether the allegations are true or not, but assuming there is some involvement from International and, and CZ and the like, that could actually take quite a bit of time to unwind, in addition to, again, giving them a potential hook for saying, okay, well, now we're going to go after Binance International. And realistically, the fraud thing is a problem, not just from the securities law angle, but because that's also where you start crossing over from the grounds of civil liability into potential criminal liability. And so whether there's a forthcoming Department of Justice action or not is something that I think has been pretty heavily speculated given the allegations in the CFTC and the SEC complaint against Binance. But that's the structure of the Binance complaint. It's useful to start there because you can compare and contrast the Coinbase complaint in the same way, in the sense that Coinbase has failure to register as a platform allowing folks to access assets that should be registered as securities or issuing and offering securities either through tokens that are listed on the platform or their staking service. And I should note Binance's staking service was also called out as a security as well. I forgot to mention that when we were going through the Binance complaint. Coinbase, I think, is a little bit more relevant for people because they received a Wells notice. It was big news back in February or March of this year where the SEC essentially said, hey, we think the staking thing is a security issuance under, from our view. We went after Kraken and Gemini and we told them they have to stop and they decided to back off. You guys need to, otherwise we're going to come after you. And Coinbase has been saying, look, we're offering a technology service here. So I think the allegations in the Coinbase complaint 
are not as surprising, at least with respect to the staking service. But before we get to that, just to kind of reiterate the frame, the, the framework is kind of similar to Binance without the malfeasance or fraud allegations and without some of these prayers for relief, like temporarily enjoining them and looking for an asset freeze. So with Coinbase, same thing with the platform. They're alleging it's an exchange, it's a broker dealer, it should be a clearing agent that's not registered. It's offering securities both in the form of certain tokens that they think are securities that they name in the case, including Solana, Matic, et cetera, but also by offering their staking services to people that also is treated as security issuance. And then there's control person liability for Coinbase Global, which is the entity that owns the U.S. entity and, and the like. And so so in, in some ways, obviously, Binance and Coinbase share the, the platform allegations, and obviously some of the assets are securities. In other ways, they're distinct. There's no allegation, for instance, at least right now, that Coinbase's relationship, for instance, with Circle or how they issue USDC is similar to Binance's relationship with BUSD, and therefore USDC or their relationship with USDC is securities issuance. That's not present in Coinbase. You also don't have these allegations of misrepresentation, and in part, that's because Coinbase doesn't actually have like a separate you know, foreign entity that's offering to people, but there's just generally no allegations of misrepresentation to users. And I think that kind of makes sense. It would be hard for them to justify that, that allegation given that Coinbase is a public company. So if they think that they've been lying to the public for the past few years, that would be a bit strange to not have flagged in a 10Q or 10K at some point over the years. So fraud, lack of fraud is not as surprising, but I think it's just as existential of a threat for them as... In fact, actually, it's probably arguably more of an existential threat, ironically, for Coinbase than it is for Binance, which kind of speaks to the perversion of the law here in the sense that even though Binance is also being targeted here, I think most people's consensus right now is at least that Binance looks like they came out ahead with their strategy compared to Coinbase's strategy of trying to engage, trying to work out a framework that made sense, which is not typically the result you want people to have in their mind when they're thinking about policy making and lawmaking. So that's framework of those two complaints. But this comes in the wake of Patrick McHenry, a Republican member of the House, promulgating a potential legislative effort to harmonize our securities, commodities laws, and issuance rules and secondary transactions. So there's definitely some political gamesmanship with the timing of these releases. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar next week as Representative McHenry has announced another hearing for his asset bill right now. I thought it would be good to start with Binance and focus on a few things that you mentioned there. And the first was a BUSD as a security. And this was a bit of a novel argument touching on the idea that BUSD is a common enterprise with Binance holding 90% of the supply and mentioning things like Binance using profits to buy and burn BNB. Wondering your thoughts on the BUSD argument, what you saw as novel, and what your thoughts are on the success of that argument going forward. Quite frankly, I think this is one of those rare areas where I sometimes vacillate on the, the theory of, oh, or is a certain asset a security versus the investment scheme or something? But I do think when it comes to an actual stable coin, and let's put aside algo stables, something just typical fiat reserve backed stables, I, I think it's, it's kind of insane to call a stable itself a security. The, the real question is how legitimate is the theory that you can involve something that's essentially a dollar in a scheme that implicates the dollar asset itself as a security or part of a security scheme. When you look at like investment contract language and you look at the history of how 
courts have talked about investment schemes potentially being like one securities offering. I can see the appeal for lawyers and certain people that aren't lawyers and are like, oh, well, other lawyers have said, but it can be a scheme. So everything in the scheme can be a security. But realistically, if you actually atomize that into what, what that would mean for, for not just like crypto, but several other services in the world, like financial technology services, the infrastructure or the framework will break down. Like arguably things like Stripe, PayPal, other things start to get enveloped in this type of framework. If you start saying, look, you've got this asset that's a digital representation of a dollar, but also the company that is in part responsible for issuance and distributing profits off of it and then uses its profits itself to continue building a business, which may in turn also offer incentives or interest or something to people who are willing to deposit that dollar in a bank or something or functionally a digital bank with them. That to me is a foolish way of trying to address some of the stable coin concerns that folks have. And so I prefaced my focus on BUSD with that because when I wrote that in the thread, one of the things that I wanted to be clear on is that there's a, a little bit more nuance where they're functionally saying, look, BUSD is this thing issued by Paxos and Binance has some involvement with it. They're making money from it. They hold 90% of it. The rest of you guys hold 10%. So you've got some type of common enterprise and it looks like they're going for a Howey analysis. But then it really swerves because it's not saying, hey, people who are buying BUSD are expecting to make money off of this asset. It's saying, hey, they expect to be able to have opportunities to earn interest by virtue of the fact that they can potentially stake it or allow Binance to hold it and lend it out in the future, which sure is true, but that's also true of like many other, like any asset, technically, if somebody's willing to let you do that, it would be true. Now, I think the arrangement between those two people, sure, you can probably, you could potentially argue that's security. I don't think in BUSD's case, it would be because it's not like the retail end user is entering to like like if you were to buy BUSD or if I were to buy BUSD, which under the hood is really just Paxos's USDP. Um, if I were to buy that, some people just use it to pay cash. And this is actually not like one of those cheeky, like, oh, how many people are doing that? As far as I know, many, many millions of dollars for financings for like, let's say Web3 companies and the like have occurred in BUSD in Asia. Just like here in the States, people actually do, I'd say before I left, Say maybe seven to twelve percent of financings might have involved people just wiring and just USDC. Like they were like, I don't want to go to the bank, deal with this, pay the money. We'll just send you guys the two million dollars in USDC or something like that. And if the company had an on-chain treasury and bank account, they would transition it. For some of them, like those people may have absolutely zero interest in like in staking it with Binance or something. They're going to use it to pay salaries. They're going to pay other people, pay vendors and the like. So it kind of indicates why this oh BUSD as a security argument is a bit weak, but. They go on to say essentially, well, it's not just that you all are holding this thing and making money, but basically that Binance takes the profits, as you mentioned, they're going to invest it in this quote unquote ecosystem, the USD ecosystem, which functions a dollar ecosystem. And therefore you all are expecting profits generally. I think if Binance were to fight it, this is one issue that they probably have a good chance of narrowing, if not defeating now, again, I don't think it would necessarily be the case that there's no securities arrangement. I know people have talked about how, yeah, there's probably an arrangement between Binance, Paxos, and whoever's managing the treasury. But at the same time, that's a permissible securities arrangement between those three. Like They're all accredited investors. There's private. There's no public trading. So long as they've done whatever diligence they need to exempt the transaction, you can have people profit sharing on a business-to-business -business relationship basis. But I think the issue is 
for them to contest that, they've got to contest several other things, which they probably are not willing to do. And so I think that's part of the reason why the SEC likely went after BUSD here. But look, at the end of the day, if you really take this to its logical conclusion, there's an argument that they could say the same thing for USDC, right? Like, oh, all the USDC holders have this circle and I don't know, some other entity make money off of this arrangement between each other and then either Circle or this other entity or some other third party that makes money from it is incentivizing people to hold USDC by offering them APYs or something. Therefore, they're all holding securities. I completely agree. So one of the big second points that that was made in the Binance complaint was regard to the staking programs. And, and we saw this in Coinbase. So the issue with Binance is like they, had, they alleged that there were like five different staking programs. It's like Binance, Vault, there's these BUSD programs, there's the staking as a service program for different chains. And then there's, there's like two other programs that I always forget about. The issue primarily in a lot of these, this is something that like, I think all exchanges and even like DeFi protocols have like a, just a stupefying problem with, which, which is they all love marketing these things as like tradified things like APY this and something like that. And I'm like, why? Like, just why would you do this to yourself? And sure enough, when all these complaints come up, they're like, yeah, the expectation you're setting is based on the fact that you're using the exact same language that everyone uses when they're offering traditional securities instruments. That said, I still think substance over form should matter here. And realistically, what I look at when I'm thinking about what are the risk of these staking programs? Because I think despite being like a crypto bull or something, I'm probably much more willing to concede the SEC's viewpoint on several types of staking arrangements that probably are securities arrangements, but not the whole pie. Because I think being frank, they really are providing the straight, hey, we're staking directly on chain. The only thing we take is a fee for our services and then we pass on everything else. So whatever you earn is just gonna be variable based on whatever the chain says. To me, that is very, very clearly a technical service. And even the SEC, it's kind of funny, they use this language and the technical expertise of the platforms against them as evidence that the people are dependent on them in an investment contract analysis, which is an insane thing to do because it's like, well, yes, if I'm offering a technical service, yes, the user is literally delegating their technology request to me. At the same time, they're not taking a position yet as to whether staking generally is a securities issuance. And so this is a very strange area because I can see, like I said, some arrangements where you've got, let's say a staking service and even some of the things that like they allege Binance or Coinbase has done, maybe it could be problematic and, should, and, and may need to be enjoined from doing it. And so for instance, if you're saying, hey, we're always going to give you a better return than you get on chain or something, that, that's like a problem or something. But I think that's really more of a message of marketing. And like, if you're going to ding somebody for that, sure, find them, tell them not to do it. But I don't think it's a matter of, hey, you can't offer this service. I think the distinction should be, look, if you're going to offer a staking service, it's not a securities arrangement, what you need to be looking at is providing primarily technical services, not guaranteeing any type of return above whatever is possible based off of the technical ability or the technical specifications of the chain that you're using. One of the things the SEC does like to use against both Binance and Coinbase is things like their terms of service where they say, oh, hey, you know, you've given up the temporary custody or for instance, where they say, oh, they also disclose that there is risk of loss because there's slashing risk or something may happen in the platform and perform. Sure, that's true, but those are all risk related to the service that they're providing. I think it's kind of insane to be like, yes, those people are risking losing money because the technical service provider, it's essentially saying like, hey, like their service provider failed to do their service agreement and therefore they violated securities laws. That's an insane right. thing to do. So I do think that 
some of the other staking programs, I won't like highlight whether it's Binance or others that have been mentioned in the past, probably are problematic and, and are not going to be allowed to exist without like registering. So for instance, like I mentioned before, if you're telling people or guaranteeing them a higher APY based off of either incentives you're paying them or something else, you're changing the nature of the relationship. It's no longer, hey, I'm providing the service. It's, hey, I'm providing the service, but also I'm paying or I'm using some type of asset potentially one that I've issued in order to incentivize and kind of bring you into this ecosystem, that does look much more like something where the securities regulators are going to say, all right, well, this looks like a type of traditional investment advisor relationship or something like that, or investment manager relationship. So with Binance, it's hard because like four of the, or three of the staking services, I'm not as familiar with Vault, especially with it being with BNB and them separately alleging BNB as a security. I think that one is less surprising because even if they didn't want to say a securities, like the staking arrangement of BNB Vault was a securities arrangement, they already were saying BNB itself was a security. So regardless of what they were offering with that, that service would be a, a securities arrangement. It's interesting because when you think about the staking as a service and Coinbase services, that's still a risk. Right now, they're basically arguing that the services themselves are investment contracts and how they offer these people access to these staking services on these quote unquote crypto asset securities. At the same time, I wouldn't put it past the commission to just say, oh, even if that argument is defeated, we think all these things are securities and you guys are still offering securities, like offering exposure to securities through these staking programs. So again, we get we always come back to this threshold question of are these things securities or not? Because a lot of that flows from there. It's interesting how the SEC will and regulators will take a position of substance over form when it suits them and then form over substance when it suits yeah. the argument yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I don't know, it's been pretty sad because I think in the States, like there's been a lot of, dis I think it's pretty apparent, like how disingenuous some of these arguments have gotten. I mean, just yesterday, the third circuit judge, third circuit, yeah, third circuit judge was responding to Coinbase's writ of mandamus, which was something that they, they essentially sued the SEC, trying to force them to respond to whether they intended to reject a former rulemaking petition that Coinbase had submitted, I think in 2022 or something like that. And the SEC stance has essentially been, oh no, we don't have to respond because we haven't made a decision and don't worry, all of the things that our chair says and multiple staff members and enforcement agents say aren't indicative of our stance. And just yesterday, Kerry goes on like a PR press tour on CNBC being like, none of these things should exist. And so thankfully, the court is finally like, okay, well, that that seems to imply you are going, you've already decided to reject their rulemaking petition. Why should you not have to confirm that or respond to this? And it's that type of thing where it's like, man, it's, there's a lot of coming from the commission right now, but like in the wake of FTX and everything, I get it. They've got egg on their face. There's an embarrassment here, but I don't think the solution is to suddenly say, okay, what we'll do, this is less so in Binance's case, but more so in Coinbase's case, what we'll do is go after the only entity that did the pubco registration that is already subject largely to a lot of the reporting that we are saying is necessary to make these things safe, has a broker dealer, is willing to register, has all these people's KYC information and the like, just needs like some basic framework to bring these in and then try to, to destroy them. And it, it's interesting because the timing of this, is, I should have mentioned also is interesting because 
Prometheum is this new kind of platform in the States that is was recently approved by the SEC and FINRA to be an ATS for crypto asset securities on alternative, sorry, an alternative trading system for crypto asset securities and a broker dealer. And so they're saying, oh, hey, look, people can do this. But it's kind of funny because if you actually go back to Robin Hood's Congress hearing back in... Uh, 2021 or 2022, they actually note that one, they are already a securities platform and they couldn't like confidently launch their crypto product for a while because their issue was even with being a securities broker and a platform, you can't offer unregistered securities. So with Prometheum, it's kind of funny. These guys are like out here taking a victory lap. I'm like, what are you about to offer? Like swarm tokens from 2019? Like, I don't understand, man. Like, if none of the assets are registered, you can't just start selling unregistered securities. So I don't know what bed they've made for themselves, but but I'm quite interested to see them sleep in it. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And on that topic, right in Binance, we saw Solana, Adam, Matic, BNB as well, named as securities. And, and you mentioned that is less impactful than most people seem to suggest, largely because of what Gensler has said, where all tokens are securities. And it's funny when you see some of his lectures at MIT, where he was talking about there's thousands of crypto tokens, and the majority of them don't need to worry about securities laws because about three quarters are commodities. And now we see public statements like on Squawk Box yesterday. And, and so I agree that this was less impactful, but it is a consistent theme that we're seeing third-party securities that are in some part related, but largely unaffiliated with these platforms being named and not having that firsthand opportunity. And, and we're not seeing enforcement go after them. Yeah. I mean, somebody mentioned this online that it seems that they finally decided to kind of put on their belt and suspenders and start going after like larger targets intentionally, in part because before this, I'd argue some of the other entities that were negatively affected by like their all tokens of securities and the like, they don't have standing to go after them in court. Naming these assets and impacting their business without giving them a chance to either respond or giving them the ability to, to contest an allegation. And maybe they've done so via Wells notice or something like that. But regardless, naming them in this way, I think gives them a much better argument that they've got standing to try to pursue some type of remedy in a court, either declarative relief, like, hey, they're going to have to either declare what their policy is here or give us some guidance as to whether you fall in the East category or not. Because as we've already seen, as of today, Robinhood is saying, hey, we we may have to delist these. Again, going back to their hearing, essentially Robinhood got comfortable by saying, okay, look, we'll list the things that it seems like most major American exchange agree, at least have plausible arguments, aren't securities. And then we'll just have to dial it back from there because we have no ability to sell these things despite being like the largest securities platform in America. And so with, by the way, when I said it's less impactful, I just want to be very clear. I don't want to say it's not impactful to the projects, the communities, or it doesn't matter. I I sometimes underestimate how many people have not accepted Gensler's stance at this point. My impression was at some point in 2022, people kind of accept it like, hey, this guy thinks all of these, everything, every anything that has like involvement generally from people, just generally, whether it's a foundation, whether it's a dad, whether it's individuals, whether it's people who showed up four years later, whether it's like your grandma, whether it's your cat, like regardless, if somebody's involved, this guy's likely going to make an argument that this thing is securities like at some point. And, and I think this is also true for like, BTC and for it to be frank, like L2 stuff, Lightning Network stuff, different types of like semi-custodial solutions. I think anyone 
deluded enough to think like they they think, oh, these are all fine, are just not paying attention. The reason why I think ultimately this is just not as material as people I think initially reacted to is this is his stance generally. And I, I hope this moment has made people accept that like, I don't think you should assume anything, literally anything will not be treated as security in his view until we see a legislative change or we see a judicial shift. Once that occurs, then I think it's more appropriate for people to come back and start assessing assessing these as either definitive precedents that need to be adhered to or, hey, they were wrong and a court validated this. But I will say the major thing is that the SEC's point seems to be, we think now that we're mentioning these, all of these other exchanges and service providers have to stop offering them. Before that wasn't as clear, but in the Binance case, it became very clear that this is their view because they listed several tokens that they had named in the Wahi motion and the like saying, hey, essentially saying, hey, these guys kept offering them even after we sued this guy, which is crazy because why he settled with them. So we don't even know if they were right, but like they're still saying, oh, hey, we named it in this in this, in this thing. Yeah, we settled with that guy, but we still think we're, like we shouldn't have been offering them. We're not gonna tell you if we agreed with him ultimately if there were securities or not, but your, your problem, not ours. Like that, that's an insane response, but unfortunately it is what it is. Yeah, I think this is just such a good example of something that I've always found extremely frustrating when rules are followed to a T just for following sake. They're, they're not being enforced in investor protect. Like think about all the Coinbase shareholders that have been damaged by this and maybe had to sell or were liquidated on options or things like that. I mean, there, there's enormous investor harm. XRP is another good example too, where you are, you are following the black letter law. Even the ETF is a good example as well when they talk about market manipulation and, and grayscale, right? It's like, what is the the goal? And, and we'll touch on that too, about the tenants of the SEC and, and what they're around for when it comes to the registration of Coinbase in a second. It's just very frustrating when people don't think about what they're doing and just tend to follow the path because that's the path that's there. And it's a shame that it's going that way, especially in a country like the US. And these statements will have implications across the world. And so th this will have a big ripple effect and one that does not protect investors in the way that I think the mandate of the regulator should. So let's briefly just touch on the asset freeze. I want to make sure I understand that when it comes to Binance, and then we'll, we'll get into Coinbase. So that asset freeze, is that solely for the assets on Binance US? Well, so yes, but the way the TRO is reading is it's, it's more complex than that. And that's, I, it's funny. That's why I had to come back and be like, whoa, hold on. My original response, I was, I didn't want to put it like, hey, this doesn't matter, but I was somewhat nonchalant because look, I, like people make this joke, but like, I don't know how true it is, but there's like four Binance US users or something like that. <laughs> and they're 95% and like three of them are probably like large institutions that hold their BSD up there or something like that. But the the thing is the, the way that they structured this asset freeze or the way that the entire allegations are flow. Remember what we talked about. They're saying, hey, look, you guys were misrepresenting that Binance US and Binance International were separate. We just think this, this is one entity. Like it's basically controlled by one dude and, and one and his holding company in the Caymans or something like that. In which case there's a real issue, right? If they are right and funds are commingled or something, 
yes, it's technically Binance US, but it's really just Binance. And the asset freeze, the order is essentially saying, look, when we get this asset freeze and, and we are looking for this TRO, we're looking for a few things. First of all, we want to compel Binance's international entity with the holding company and CZ to transfer all assets and funds that we think belong or, or, or the, the entitlements of Binance US customers to Binance US. Well, first of all, I have no idea if they're commingled or not, but let's assume that they're right. And it's all commingled with Binance International funds. Well, then it's not just Binance US, it's going to impact Binance International. But in addition, for them to be able to do things like move customer assets and the like, like I mentioned earlier, they want them to be only in control by US-based named executive officers and directors for CZ not to be involved for CZ and Binance generally, Binance International, Binance US, to not be able to transfer assets from Binance US or from any US-based entity outside of that ecosystem um, to the extent that those are assets belonging to Binance US customers. And what that functionally means if there's anything from Binance International here, they shouldn't be moving it at all because the US is just going to say, we think all of it is Binance US. So the second you move anything over there, bam, we got you. So yes, it is limited to Binance US, like BAM Trading Inc. or whatever the, the DBA is. But functionally, if the US is out, if their allegations are correct, it is it should impact Binance International. Now, I'd, I'd frankly, at this point, I'd be pretty surprised if there's that much entanglement anymore. Not because I think like they're great actors or they're bad actors, but just primarily because after 2022, it seems pretty clear to me that like Binance went on a, a tear trying to disaggregate Binance US and Binance. So this is why I've been in the, like, uh, this is a big deal and it's important, but I don't really know how big of an impact this has on Binance. The real victims might end up being Binance US users that don't withdraw because if they just get stuck in this limbo status, they might be waiting like FTX depositors for months or years. And God forbid there's like some legal instance where like hundreds of millions of dollars of the value is just siphoned off to KPMG and like my former law firm or something like that messed up but it's happening in ftx so i wouldn't be surprised to see it happen here yeah the harmed party at the end of the day becomes the retail users that the mandate of the agency was to protect and yeah i mean this is and this is as an aside but i don't know if you saw this in one of our lawyer chats but like pally was talking about how there's a new filing for a bloom token and mm -hmm. bloom was like a 2018 ico i thought they were actually having an offer i was like oh wow those guys came back then i remembered no they got sued and they were supposed to register this token if they didn't want to have to pay the full $30 million fine to the SEC. 20 to 30% of the money may have gone to like legal fees and tax advisors. And all this offering is that they're forcing them to register is basically a rescission offer. It's basically them saying, hey, we sold unregistered securities. If you want to get your money back at par, and most people probably will, now that the thing is down like 95% since the SEC sued them into oblivion, then you can do that. But if you do that, we'll go bankrupt and then we may not have enough money to pay everyone back. It's a prime example of talking about investor protection and then allowing 30 to 30% 30 plus of the value to go out the window to lawyers just so you can be like, ah, they filled out the forms. Now you're protected. Yeah, it's a big problem. And it's something that we, we're seeing time and time again, even in the Bloom example, what, what precedent really has been set? What path is there now yeah. for everyone else to register? Right? Like, like how, how, what precedential value is that? I don't know, to me, it's indicative of, of a larger problem of legitimacy throughout a lot of our governments right now. 
where, like you said, there's adherence to form, but especially in the states, this is this has become a lot more of an issue over the past twenty years in the states. And mm -hmm. look, I'm actually not one of these like anti-admin dudes or like hyper libertarian guys. It's always funny when people find this out about me because like I actually do think like there's a ton of agencies that do good work. I think having agency discretion in some regards is important, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we're getting to a point where I think a lot of responses to technological challenges or financial challenges are not well thought out. We're not aiming to achieve the policy goals of what we said were our goals when we initially established these laws, protecting investors, protecting consumers, ensuring that we have competitive markets. Instead, it's often becoming these either formal arguments, of, well, law says this, and even though it actually has the, the a perverse impact, we just should do it because what else can we do about it? And it's like, yep. there's this learned hopeless, helplessness almost like, oh, well, there's so much political gridlock that we just have to start allowing these perverse outcomes to occur because we can't change it. And I'm like, well, that's a depressingly sick mentality. Like, oh man, our politics are so broken. We should just lose rights. I'm like, okay, cool. That makes perfect sense. Yep. And it's a shame it's that that's mentality is not confined to the crypto space or the security space. Yes. Either. That's the thing that's disturbing to me. It's spreading. I know that I feel bad for crypto people, but I'm like, look, if it was limited to crypto, I'd be like, oh, it sucks. But like, at least the the, the nihilism and the cynicism is, is just just like our industry or maybe like our industry and AI. But but it's just ever like like you're starting to see it in so many places. And I guess I consider myself like a political progressive or something. The shift in the, the progressive aisle in the States has been pretty marked to me. It's kind of, it's kind of disturbing because I'm like, well, Jesus, guys, like if we're not progressing towards something, are we progressive? <laughs> like We can't just be like, no, nah, no, nah, hold on. Let, let's stop everything. We got to calm down. I'm like, well, that's mm -hmm. progressive. <laughs> that's, the, mm -hmm. that's the opposite of that word. I'll let you guys fight over that. But I don't understand how we break the gridlock. And I think about this a lot often, especially over the past year, but now we don't need to get into like political philosophy and stuff. That's a whole nother can of worms. So I'm going to avoid going down that rabbit hole, but I thought we could shift gears and talk about Coinbase now. And Coinbase was alleged with operating an unregistered exchange, broker dealer and clearing agency, as well as that their staking programs were securities offerings. The SEC named several coins securities, including Near. There were no fraud allegations, though. I think that was one of the biggest distinctions. And they didn't go after Brian Armstrong in, in his person. It was more against Coinbase itself. The one comment you made, which I think you made a couple times, was this is an entity that the U.S. government itself was patronizing. They were using them to offload Bitcoin that they had recovered. It does. Sorry? It still does. Like, as far it as I know, does. it doesn't stop. No, yeah, like, it doesn't stop. As far right. as I know. So they're, they're still using it. Yeah, but, I mean, that's how they, plan, they have to get rid of the rest of the Mt. Gox Bitcoin. That, that's where they sell it. They just go to Coinbase. Right. And so now you have this, this regulator that is saying this entity is intentionally seeking to harm U.S. citizens. Meanwhile, the U.S. government itself is using it. There's a lot of things to unpack there, but I'd love to hear just you expand on, on your take on that. Yeah, no, to me, it's just, it's just a sign of dysfunction at, at best. And again, I'm like, I, I'm never one of those like, oh, the government's all corrupt and they're all trying to steal, take our money. But I do hate when stuff like this happens because it's so hard to defend the legitimacy of government when you have something like this. I'm like, all right, guys, look, yes, this is grifty and it's bad. No, all of the government is not insider trading stocks just to dump on you. And that's why everybody right. becomes politicians. But it's increasingly hard. And the issue is that social media, one, obviously distorts narratives, but it does also shine a light on activity that might be legal 
and allowed that the government engages in, but is wildly hypocritical and is one of those do as I say, not as I do types of moments where, and I think most people just don't respond well to seeing an inequity between like government activity and their own activity. And so, yeah, I think, and, and separately from a legal perspective, that's not going to be like a dispositive issue in a case. But I genuinely think a lot of non-legal anti-crypto critics are severely underestimating th th that these are going to end up being bad facts in, in, in a tribal case. Like if it really does become a tribal case and let's say it gets bumped up to SCOTUS, like the government is paying them a fee and helping prop up this business that they're concurrently saying is illegal. It would be like not in marijuana is legal in several states, but let's say like <laughs> the feds going to like California and buying a bunch of weed and then then locking somebody up on a federal basis selling weed. It's like, well, hold on, man. Like we don't understand. Like, yes, you you can do that, but but what the hell type of precedent are you trying to set? And more importantly, you're eroding people's confidence that there's a, a type of equity between the citizenry and the individuals representing them within that. And unfortunately, I think these things compound, whether it's people, oh, Pelosi's trading stocks, or oh, the, the people who took PPP money and didn't, and then are railing against student loan forgiveness. Like all of those things, right, left, whatever side of the political aisle, I think they compound on each other. And something like this is just another thing that compounds on people saying, okay, well, what the hell, like what, what rules do, do apply to these guys at this point? So I, one, I, I think that it's, it's kind of an insult and I'm kind of just like, I, I don't see how they don't see the irony there, but realistically, and this is where we can kind of get to the, the S1 thing, I think the more egregious thing is when people kind of take, again, this formal argument of, oh, well, an S1 approval is not a, an approval of a business model, which is also technically true. But again, you've got to square that with the reality of the US government selling on this platform and the SEC being an agency whose sole purpose, sole purpose, sole purpose, is to regulate the securities market like and they've got and as a part of that sole purpose they've got a, a kind of three-part mandate that helps them achieve that purpose it's capital formation investor protection and then the maintenance of fair and, and orderly and efficient markets and so when you when you consider that in the s1 process they have to they don't review the business but they have to go back and forth with risk factors and discussion to me it is impossible to maintain a view that they've discharged their obligations by allowing a company whose entire business model, it's not like an aspect of the business, it's the entire business model violates the tenets of the agency itself. What in God's name would the approval process mean? Then? And again, you've got to think about this because this is where I get back into, ironically, my substance over form thing. Like the purpose of these laws are to protect retail investors and stuff. It's not for like sophisticated lawyers to look at and be like, hmm, well, I see that this S1 says they may be sued, and I should know that because the S1 doesn't automatically represent a business approval, they probably will be sued. I shouldn't invest. It's a regular person. A regular person is thinking, oh, all right, well, like the SEC, they regulate securities. They let these guys sell these things. Like most of it has to be okay. Like I'm sure like maybe some of it's not okay. For them to come out and be like, oh, hey, actually the entire business model is bunk. How in God's name is a retail user supposed to determine that without what hiring me or something? So when people like the anti-crypto critics say this, it's it's so insane because I'm like, what you're functionally advocating for is for these retail users to be like investment bankers or lawyers and to understand S1 precedent and to understand all of the SEC's jurisprudence and internal admin agency law and be like, oh, okay. I can make an informed decision. If that's the case, I don't even understand what the registration process exists for because you're functionally saying they need to be as sophisticated as accredited investors or market professionals. Why have that regime?
Like it, once you have all of that knowledge, you, you kind of just need financials and an MDNA, and then you can assess a company. So to me, when people say this, it, it, it indicates a lack of intellectual honesty, in my opinion. I think what they're really trying to say is, hey, I just don't think this thing should exist or not that, that I don't think it should exist, but I just don't think that people should be involved in this. And the fact that they let it go public was probably a mistake, but who cares? Like they're getting them now. And I'm like, that's not. And the last thing I'll end with is we know for sure that it is not the case that the SEC does not make substantive decisions with crypto companies. We know because they have rejected the IPOs or very strongly stymied the release of IPOs of other crypto entities, specifically based on concerns related to crypto assets. So realistically, what's happening here is it was a regime change. It's a political shift. And the reason why they can't concede to that is because you start running into administrative law issues and major questions doctrines because administrative agencies are not entitled to start making up law in America. And so they're trying to thread this weird needle where they're saying, no, 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 no. Like, it's not a political change. We could have always done this. We just didn't, but of course we discharged our obligations to protect retail. We just destroyed them. And it's such a cognitive dissonant, it's such a dissonant position that at this point I'm like, I, I can't I can't engage with folks like that because I'm like, look, man, I, I've got enough brainworms to like send to the rest of the world. I don't need any anybody else's brainworms. Like, you know what? Keep them. Just just keep them. It it's unbelievable, right? And you're seeing these arguments on Twitter that registration isn't approval of the business. But when you permit the registration and the IPO of a company whose core business model is in one area, and then months or years later, you say that that, that was illegal the entire time, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's gaslit. Like there's so many terms you can use to describe it. Yeah, the one crazy. point that you made though, that I thought was fantastic was the chair's assertion that the current model is adequate to protect retail interest, whereas registration of the staking program would entail general registration, which would mean providing information mandated by rules Reg SX and SK. But Coinbase is already subject to these rules and reports. And so what is this double registration supposed to achieve? It's that form over substance that we've continued to harp on. And, you know, what a good example of the laws being inadequate for an area like this. Well, yeah. And, and what I meant by that in particular, because you probably saw me and Gabe going back and forth on this, where I was saying to him in the chat, I'm like, look, like at the end of the day, if they want to say these things are securities, fine. Rule makes so that they, so that the information that you elicit when they're registering these assets are actually relevant to the risks and the things that are going to be needed to know in order for people to make material investment decisions. Whereas right now, if they do not rule make or change the rules, registering an equity security, whether you do it on an S1, whether you do it on a form F10, whatever form you use, typically the bulk of the information you are required to provide is prescribed by those two rules, Reg SX, which says, hey, here's how you have to present financials and here's what financials should be presented when we ask for you to provide audited financials in this line in your registration form. Or with the SK, it's more your material, like qual or, or more like your qualitative things. Like here's what we need to describe and we're asking for the management's discussion and analysis. Here's what we need to describe and we're asking for a description of the securities or the amount being offered to the public. Some of those things literally just don't exist for the staking program. Like when you ask me like, how, what, what's the amount being offered to this, the public or what's the price? It just, there isn't one. Like this asset doesn't really have a similar analogy. Now, yes. And as Gabe was saying, well, yeah, we could tweak the rules and modify that. I totally agree. But that's why we need to modify the rules. Like if we don't modify the rules, even if they registered the staking program, you get 
basically what you get from Coinbase's 10Q or 10K right now. Like they already talk about staking in the 10Qs and 10Ks. Sure, maybe there's, I don't know, a little bit more material information, but realistically, if they care that much, but aren't going to make up new rules to elicit information, you might as well just tell them to enhance their material disclosures in their 10Qs and 10Ks. Like right now, they, they could just do that. Like just have them do that today. And so this is again, That's another example goal, yeah, the form, the taxonomy arguments. To me, it's foolishness. Like, do you, do you actually care about the retail? Because if so, just have them start disclosing the info. But you, again, you would have to describe what info you think is material and relevant. And they don't want to do that because they want to refrain from legitimizing the industry. That's, I mean, to me, their election of duty in, in, in pursuit of some political goal is, is, is so craven and ridiculous that I'm like, th th and this is why I get mad. Like, I don't even hold like most of these assets anymore. Like, this, this is not like, ah, my bags are at risk and I got to fight the SEC or something. I, I just, I just, this is like the one area where I am like the weird libertarian dude. Like, I just hate when governments just start just doing stuff like, oh yeah, we can just act as we please. And no, no you can't. No, you can't. Like the entire purpose of being a public servant is to be a servant. Don't step into a role where you're like, yo, I'm going to do some public service. And be like, yeah, you know what? Actually, my personal priorities matter more. I got this. I'm like, no, we pay one taxes. Like we, but also there's just a consensus. Like here's how we've all agreed. We're going to come to consensus about making decisions. Here's who enforces those things. When there's a debate, we either return to our lawmakers or we return to the courts. I don't like the erosion of government structures, particularly being a minority that literally is a descendant of slaves in America. I don't like when people are like, oh, let's just let the government do what they want. Nah, I'm okay, man. My, my people didn't have the greatest experience with that in the past. So I prefer that we actually stick to the substance of laws that have actually protected our rights and not give like random people the ability to just start undermining constitutional liberties because that that doesn't end well at least in my experience and so i'm not rolling that dice again such such a good point and the point you mentioned earlier about the timing of coinbase's ipo versus the charges that were recently filed and the political shift that has happened in the us since then and it's so obvious what's happening when it comes to the politicization of the SEC in, in one respect, where this should be an independent agency. And once you bring in that political influence, that number one, you can't admit to, but number two, you want to follow because you're more worried about your reputation or your political aspirations. And I'm not saying that I know the reasoning behind any of these things, but it is an enormous shift in tone shift in enforcement actions, whereas guidance or, or things like that have been taken in other jurisdictions around the world. It, and the biggest um, concern on my end is the more power you give to individuals, the more danger that a specific individual, regardless, like everyone's fallible, but the more power you give to one particular individual, that's how you end up with a lot of names that are well known throughout history for very bad reasons. Yeah. And the crazy part to me is, is that, again, like, uh, like I, I come from the progressive wing, so I can I say this, but like literally like half of the people I know are like screeching about the government overreach in the last admin. And so the first thing they do is like, you know what we should do? Supercharge right. to go government overreach. I'm like, what in the, come on, man. Like, this is a joke. And I mean, the, the, the crazier, like, the crazier part to me is like you basically made an active policy decision to harm retail users in pursuit of stomping this industry out. And first of all, the strategy has not been working. Like maybe, and I've said it, I said it for years. I was like, until they have a globally coordinated crackdown against the largest players, this will not work. If anything, you're going to see a rapid proliferation of these things. And sure enough, they did. But not only that, it is, it's just farcical on its face 
to sit here and say, we've got the tools, we've always had the tools we need to solve this. And three of America's largest financial failures just occurred with those tools. Like to me, it is, it is so insane when I hear people support Gensler's view and I'm like, okay, if this was the case, it, was it just an active decision to let billions of dollars of re mostly retail user funds get wrecked? Because that seems like a problem. And if it wasn't, it seems to clearly belie this assertion that the tools are adequate. In my mind, it's like, oh, we already can stop fraud. And like, all right, well, why didn't you? Like, like this is this to me, it's like this should be the number one thing harped on when people keep saying, oh, the rules are sufficient because they keep saying this and these failures keep happening. And so I don't understand how this is not viewed as a regulatory failure. Like, yes, sure, there are bad actors and the like. What we don't typically say is, ah, oh, there were bad actors, so we just stopped letting the cops and stuff do their jobs. Normally, if the cops are like, oh, yeah, those guys are bad. I don't think I want to get involved with that. that that seems tough. <laughs> We'd be like, oh, we should fire that dude. That, that seems like a problem. Instead, people are like, yeah, I mean, what could he have done? And I'm like, the work? Like, <laughs> he's suggesting that he has the authority. So what happened? And why isn't it being done now? Even now, people are highlighting that there are some entities out there that are clearly much more problematic than even Nance and Coinbase. Where are they? It's a political and precedent-setting thing, not a, hey, substantively, let's try to get as many people protected as we can, then let's roll into figuring out our frameworks for some of these players that may be non-compliant but in a manner that is not threatening to upend and undo like the life savings of Joe from Palm Springs or something. And I think Paul Gruel and the Coinbase team have done a really good job focusing on that. It's about not only due process, it's about the rules applying equally to everyone, regardless of the ecosystem or industry that they're in. It's about actually having regulators do the job that they are yeah. created to do. And even just at a higher level, if you go to the government level, there's a couple ways you could respond to something like this, but one of them would be, okay, why is retail so desperate to speculate on anything and everything? And what has happened over the past hundred years since the act of 33 and 34 have been created that has led to this continued rise? And what can we do to, in, in, to change that? Is it investor education? Is it more in education of kids growing up in finances in things like that and maybe making it more achievable for people to invest in earlier stage entities so then they don't want to go on virtual casinos anytime they get a chance oh yeah so so the other thing is that when i'm thinking about i guess the way we approach the these issues it's kind of funny because the everything you just expressed, I think a lot of people are like, oh, like it's too idealistic and you guys are trying to distract from the, like addressing the main issue at hand. And I'm like, no, I'm not. It's actually, and this is the problem that I have with this, these general attitudes of like, oh, well, there's such a malaise in politics that like we can't really do anything there because the entire, like you said, the entire mentality is one of, we can never return to the fundamental principles as to why we have certain rules, certain laws, and to start assessing whether we either need to change them or if we don't need to change them, why we need to get the rest of the citizenry to understand, hey, these opportunities aren't what you really want long-term. Just, just telling people like, oh, nah, don't, don't do that. It's a bad idea. It's hard because I, I, like, I, I understand how retail gets into some of the debacles that they do. Like they see a guy make like a billion dollars off like a $200 investment. And like that happens with sports betting, but I think it's just seen as a little more accessible when it comes to, to crypto and the like. That to me, I, I understand how to get there and, and perhaps marketing and something should be curtailed. But at the end of the day, I think, it re like you said, the real discussion needs to be like, hey, can we have a discussion about 
maybe returning to the tenets of society and improving upon those and building on those so that we actually have substance behind our people's brains and perhaps they aren't as interested in these things. But even if they are as interested, they can do so on a more informed basis. They can be more discerning. And even if they're, they're not more discerning, they're just a, at least a little more informed as to where they can get this info. To me, again, there's just been, a, it's like I said, there's a learned helplessness. It's almost like a collapse in like, hey, we can't do anything other than prohibit things or prescribe things. And we'll just try to control people's behavior with some laws. Like it's very, it's very uninspired. And again, I'm not telling people to like go out and buy a bunch of crypto and like, hey, it should all be allowed. My biggest point is, like you said, like in like have a real democratic discussion. And the thing is, a lot of people. I'll end by saying a lot. A lot of people they put it like, oh, those are five, ten year long projects. We don't have time for that. But they were saying that in 2017. And then they were saying it in 2014. And so I'm like, all right, fam. But now it's been 10 years or 15 yeah. years. Like. There are countries, not just countries, like the EU is like multiple countries making significant decisions on things like from crypto to AI to antitrust in a faster rate of time than us as one country. And I'm like, this is insane, man. Like you guys have to stop excusing our malaise and gridlock right now. Like right now, the U.S. is in a, a political position, which, which is which is bad. And I don't mean because like the admin is bad or something like there are a lot of things that the current admin I'm, I'm super cool with. I mean, like the congressional, our congressional just edifice right now and the way in which we discuss policies is so shattered. I don't I, I don't know how we fix it. And it's definitely concerning for me because I think this is something that if we're, we're in a better political position, I, don't know, I think we, we could solve these issues in a couple of months of debate, discussion, good faith debate. There'd probably be a lot more restrictions than I think most crypto people would like, but I also don't think the end result in the States would be this type of demonization and almost total ban that Gary is trying to achieve under the Constitution. Yeah, today's society feels very much like a status quo mentality where let's keep things the way they are. Yes, things could be better, but they could be a lot worse and let's not do anything to upend the system. Even housing in Canada is a complete disaster. A one bedroom apartment is $600,000 in the suburbs, you know, an hour and a half outside Toronto, but we're not doing anything major about that because things could be a lot worse and we need to keep things as they are. And I think that's just such a dangerous mentality to have because it leads to stagnation and it, it makes it very difficult for the incumbents to be not, not just overcome it in a sense where they're competitors, but also just new offerings to emerge. So anyways, that's, I just want to quickly touch on two more things regarding the Coinbase one. And, and we saw there were some show cause orders from Alabama and at least nine other states. And I know you mentioned you briefly skimmed them. Could you just touch on what those cover? Yeah, as far as I know, all of them are primarily focused on the actual staking program. So they're basically saying, hey, you need to tell us why in the next month or 10 days or something, why you should not either have to stop offering the staking service in our state or potentially be liable for offering unregistered securities because we think it's a securities offering. There's definitely some coordination with the SEC because like states and the SEC do coordinate it from time to time. So like people who are asking that, it's not like a weird conspiracy, it just is a normal thing. But I think the encouraging thing, it's, it's more limited in the sense that they're just saying, look, look, we're not going to necessarily dive into like this whole token thing right now. Right now, we just think the staking arrangement thing is security. And again, while I think, especially now, I don't use like centralized services for staking your stuff, but as I understand it now, Coinbase has shifted basically to like that model I was talking about before, where it's basically like, hey, we stake on chain for you. We take some like service fee for like providing the service and then like you just get whatever the, the, the blockchain pays. I think though some of the early marketing around it 
probably got them flagged on like some state regulators list because states are much more likely to look at like marketing to, and things like that and can make, I think more, they can be a little more nimble than the, the feds. That's really the real risk with the, the state show cause actions are that states can move more quickly than the feds. So even while Coinbase is litigating with the feds, they may have like this weird kind of dual timeline where they're also dealing with the states. Now, the smartest thing to do would just be to just stop offering the staking service in those states for a while until they figure out whether they can or can't. Um, I'm Paul and, and the like are writing the responses to the various states. And so we'll see if they allow them to keep offering the service. But it's, it's kind of funny because at the end of the day, it's like it's one of those things where it's like, what do the states want? <laughs> like, it's kind of funny. They're like, oh, we want additional disclosure on the staking service. I'm like, all right, cool. But like, one, are we sure that it's not already disclosed? <laughs> if you look at the staking page, it's got a lot of what they're talking about, like whether the, the, the people are at risk of losing funds from slashing and whether they, what the variable service fees are. If all that's disclosed and they already are collecting user information and adhering with all the other money laundering directors and the like, I'm sure they'll get them to file. And again, we go back to what we were talking about before. It's kind of like the Reg SX, Reg SK thing. I don't actually know if much is going to change for the offering. I think it's legitimately like a registration, pay us some fees. And then mostly for the retail user, it's probably going to be the same user experience and the same info that surfaced for them. It can be the things that are on the website. And so some of the things they already have on the website will satisfy the disclosure requirements up there. Like all states aren't like, hey, you've got to file this specific form where you describe this. So yeah, sure, I guess file the other form, but don't act like it's a moral failing to not have two mm -hmm. forms instead of one form. If the information elicited will largely be the same, that's that's just, that, at that point, we're just paying the government to pay for no reason. And in, in the, uh, the order, at least in Alabama, Coinbase has 28 days to show cause why they should not be directed to cease and desist from selling unregistered securities. And that's, there's 10 state securities regulators that are sort of involved in this task force that has been sending the show cause order out. And so we'll, we'll be interesting to see what they respond with there. The one last thing that you mentioned with regards to everything happening is that right now it looks like there is no path forward to sensible rulemaking before either definitive legislation or judicial action. And which one do you, do you think we'll see first in a manner that gives some form of clarity and, and a path forward? It's interesting. I think there'll be some judicial action. Like I'm, I'm still kind of expecting the Ripple thing to get decided at some point. I actually yeah. am not one of these people that thinks it's going to be as precedent setting as people really? convinced themselves over the past few years. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like when Ripple first happened, it seemed to me that there's a consensus like, oh, yeah, this might give us some clarity, especially around like whether secondary transactions and like are, are, are different. But at the end of the day, like Ripple is still somewhat unique. It's very unique, even compared to like some of the other larger altcoins like Soul or Matic or something like that. Like, and I don't just say that, like, like I won't beat up on the Ripple people because like there's the Ripple company and everything. It's just that as far as I know, like right now, especially it's kind of funny because of the SEC complaints and the issues, Ripple's kind of been like stymied from being able to expand their ecosystem so that they're not like, so that Ripple affiliates aren't the primary like drivers of things. It's kind of funny, like SEC action itself has prevented them from not being central to the to, to the asset. That's primarily because like they, until this is resolved, there's no real way for somebody who wants to, let's say, potentially get involved with Ripple that's not affiliated with them to have assurance that it's not just going to get pulled from under them. So I think it's useful, but I think there's a good chance 
that Ripple wins on like, like if they win, there's a good chance it's not like the judge is like, hey, this thing isn't a security. It's on like the fair notice thing, or it's on like some other deficiency that the SEC has mm. like built for themselves. In which case, I think it would still be very useful precedent, but I don't know if it's going to be as useful as like a SCOTUS ruling on like this Coinbase case where they might actually tackle what one, whether how he's still relevant or two, whether like you can actually separate an investment contract and an underlying asset. Like I don't, think that's likely to get decided in Ripple. If it does, then yeah, I think judicial action is probably more likely to come first, although they'll probably appeal if they lose, so it's still not going to be definitive. Otherwise, I would expect... See, I don't... My problem is, I, I meant to read Justin's thread. I don't know... It's really hard for me to, to ascertain the likelihood of success for the McHenry bill. Like, there'll be changes to it, but I don't, I just, I don't even know if if it'll get through. And so because of that, I'm like, that to me seems like the most realistic legislative proposal at the time that probably won't be adopted wholesale, but might turn into something that actually is adopted in part. If that's the case, though, the only way it'll happen fast is if McHenry just is motivated to do so, which to be honest, they might be like, there's now enough crypto efforts around politics and lobbying such that I think there are increasingly a number of, of congressional members, primarily on the right, that are seeing the opportunity to grab a new constituency and along with the donations and the like that come along with it by aligning here. And that's part of why I also think that Gary's kind of on this pretty interesting timing tear with some of these enforcement actions, because they're again, they're going into election season and he knows that there's like these potential pending bills. He's trying to set the narrative of scoff laws and the like so that it becomes less tenable for Democrats to sign on to bipartisan legislation. And so that if something else happens, it tars and kind of feathers the people who are currently advocating for a legislative effort because they can say, oh, look, see, these guys want to leg legislate something that's really just crime and the like. So there's definitely, there's timing issues and there's a political game happening here. And so for that reason, yeah, I guess I'd say ultimately judicial action will probably happen first, either in Ripple or some other cases. If it's not Coinbase, Binance, or maybe one of these other like major instances, I don't know if it's going to have as much precedential value, in which case the legislative effort will probably come first. I think a more interesting question is whether you or Gabe asked this, like, which is preferable to happen first? And as much as I think judges ultimately will support some of the more foundational like, constitutional law principles, it's probably better to get like definitive legislation than relying on like a smattering of court decisions just because again even where i tend to think that like i've got a certain legal policy that i think is being not adhered to or not respected by the commission i've just got to concede like several of the cases they bring are smart because there's a shit ton of bad facts that like are very easy to convince a judge even if even if like the the more you know libertarian or free-minded policy position is correct that the specific implementations that these people are engaged in are still problematic and illegal in which case sure maybe the precedent doesn't cover all of the industry but if you can secure enough victories and precedents that make it extraordinarily difficult or nerve-wracking for anyone to operate it doesn't matter if like technically there is still a method to move forward without violating the law because practically no one is going to be willing to risk that. And so it's probably better for like something like the McHenry bill to happen versus relying on like Ripple winning, then Binance winning apart and losing something and Coinbase winning something and losing something and having to try to like parse judicial opinions. Also, it'll take like years. So that's the other reason why it would just be better to get definitive legislation. And it's kind of ridiculous that like 
seven, like 40 other countries can, can like create like multiple laws and the time that we've been debating making one over like 12 years. I'm like, come on, man, just make a law. Just do your job. Even if you want to ban it. Like at this point, I'm like, honestly, I don't right. like it. Even if you want to ban it, just, just pass a law, dude. Like just, just do your job. Like stop letting this random guy go off on squawk box and like YouTube videos. Like the other reason why I'm incensed about all of this is like, <laughs> I don't like watching TV. I hate watching YouTube videos. I think I, like you were the first podcast I ever did. It's like I very rarely like just watch media stuff. So like I hate having to like pay attention to like random media institutions in order to understand what the law might be. I'm like, hey man, you know what you could do? The rulemaking and guidance process so that I don't have to go on fucking CNBC and listen to Aaron interview you about fucking Algorand and your time at MIT. Like, I don't care about any of this, man. I just want to know what the law is. I got like clients and things that I got to inform. I don't want to be watching CNBC at 8.30 when I want to be dealing with my baby or something. Leave me alone. So that that to me is just a random aside. Like, I think it's wild that people are acting like this whole like, oh, I make a pronouncement on a YouTube video, then on my Twitter, then on CNBC, then on Fox. Like, bro, I should, this shouldn't be a scavenger hunt to figure mm -hmm. out what the law is. Just, just tell me what the law is, man. <laughs> like, produce guidance, produce some rules. Once your authority ends, Congress needs to step in. That's it. I just want to know what the positions are. Like, the up until 2019, we were getting the, their guidance. We were getting the logic and mm -hmm. insight to. You understood what the position was. Now it's like, I just got to wonder, like, I don't know, is Gary's position real? And then they get to court and they're like, oh, no, that actually isn't the position of the agency. You guys will find out soon. And I'm like, okay, okay. But it, it's, it's laughable right now. Yeah. And even your point too about the Ripple case, or, and if that turns out where Ripple wins, that would be really precedential because now all of a sudden people could try to go and obviously it'd be appealed and everything, but now that could open the floodgates. Whereas if they lose, those facts can be so distinguished against most other yeah. tokens that it doesn't really add too much value more is just a punitive case against Ripple and, and Ripple Labs and obviously would stop people from issuing in that exact manner. And the other thing too is just in Justin's thread, he mentioned that a big danger is if the SEC actually starts losing and a big danger to the to the bill because if they or if they lose a big case at SCOTUS where the court says crypto products aren't securities and the SEC needs legislation to regulate and enforce on crypto. And, and then he says, if that happens, the McHenry Thompson bill is off the table. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting if it does. I don't know how quickly Congress would respond because I don't know, they're out here fighting over like the dumbest shit in the world. So they, they, it might happen. I think though, the one thing that I do try to stress to people is that while I think the SEC is aggressive, they've been smart about choosing certain cases that they have good fact patterns in their favor. Their favor. And that's why I'm like, even if they, if I will say you're right, if Ripple like win, like just outright wins like just hey this thing is in a security yeah that's that's the one instance in which like judicial precedent would be quite quite significant i don't expect that not because i think ripple is or isn't a security but just because like most courts aren't going to be willing to like put their foot in such a like a significant arguably political question when they can avoid making that de determination by having a more narrow ruling so that's why i'm just not expecting that but if it did happen yeah yeah, absolutely right. That that would be huge. But if it doesn't and they start losing at SCOTUS or something, I, I'd be surprised because I don't think they're going to lose on things like like if like some of the services are securities arrangements, not because staking is inherently a securities arrangement, but just because, again, some of their marketing and the way that they proposed it yeah. does basically mirror traditional products. But at the end of the day, like that's not fatal. You either just stop offering it or you just you pay the fine and you register the thing. So it's not like that. that's going to like kill off the industry or something like that. So that's why I'm like that precedent. 
I, I just I don't know how bad that is, right? Like like if you say, oh, these centralized services can't offer the staking service in this way, without saying like a more general statement about right. delegated staking or something, it really doesn't have any like it, it, it has maybe indirect implications for DeFi protocols, Lido and things like that. But you're still going to have to wait for another case from like that or another instance where the SEC makes a new theory known about how they feel about delegated proof of stake consensus mechanisms or how they feel about delegated staking services that aren't centralized. So because of that. I think Coinbase is probably the case. It's probably the best position where they might make a decision outright that has like good, clear binding precedent. But I would be surprised if they get to upending Howie or doing some other things. I think the most likely thing is a general restriction on administrative agency overreach, which this court has already mm -hmm. started moving towards. That's the more likely case where it's just them saying, look, you can't make all these decisions. Like either rule make or don't. But until Congress makes these decisions, things that are clearly these securities interest in these companies, things that, you know, clearly me how we find, but you can't start making up all these novel legal theories that are supported not by the law, but by your chair's position that these things shouldn't exist. And again, this is where I say some of these things where people are like, none of these things that he says matters. I'm like, yes, it, it absolutely will. If you end up going up and they start getting into more fundamental arguments in these administrative law positions, because any lawyer is going to start raising these evidence that the agency's position that they haven't made a decision or it, that things are clear is not consistent with these public pronouncements. And if they're going to be saying you need to be watching Squawk Box and YouTube or Netflix to understand the evolution of their thinking, then of course those statements matter. Like you can't just be like, oh, hey, I say these things publicly and you should pay attention when it's something that I'm saying you shouldn't do. But also if the courts don't like what I'm saying, it shouldn't count because it's in my personal yeah. capacity. And we've already seen like recently courts being like, nah, hold on, that's not going to work for us. You're going to have to reconsider how you're doing these agency comps. So I think something like that's more likely to occur in these cases. Thank God for the court system and hopefully the judges remain impartial and that there's yeah a lot of interesting things to happen over the next couple of years, especially when it comes to the litigation on crypto. Collins, I think in terms of timing, maybe we could get you on another time for the McHenry bill and talk about yeah, that. Okay. But this this was a fantastic conversation. As always, I think a really good deep dive into Binance, into Coinbase, into staking, the laws around that and what the future could look like, as well as a few political thoughts on, on where we're at today. So yeah. thanks. Thanks for joining me, man. Always <laughs> yeah. a pleasure. No, no worries, man. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I enjoy talking more substantive issues. I'm, I'm at the point where I'm now I'm like, hey, like we should just be having these combos more because I feel like the only way we get to a point of actually moving forward and, and not being terrified of engaging with like new tech and also new frameworks. I just admit that like, Hey, we're not going to get all of it right. But at the same time, like we cannot sit here and cower from every new thing that comes out and, or more importantly, cower to the point where we're just actively harming the retail people that we're supposed to be protecting by saying, Oh, we won't legitimize it by acting on it because we're too afraid. It'll make more people get involved while people lose billions of dollars. Like these are just, we're at a weird point in, in, in legislative practice, I guess you could say. So good, good talk.